0: Welcome to the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast, the home of behind-the-scenes interviews, stories, and memories that celebrate the heritage of the great game of hockey. The Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast is hosted by Mark Willand. Today's guest on the PHA Podcast is Frank Simonetti, an All-American collegiate player at Norwich University who went on to play four seasons for the Boston Bruins in the 1980s. Frank shares interesting stories from his Bruins career, including partnering on defense with Raymond Bork, his somewhat awkward introduction to Cam Neely and the talented 1980s Bruins teams. We also discuss Frank's annual Bowl with a Bruin event that raises money for Dana-Farber Institute in Boston. This episode of the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast is sponsored by Pro Stock Hockey, your online source for authentic Pro Stock Hockey equipment. and all the rest if the pros don't use it they don't sell it visit pro stockhockey.com we're back with frank simonetti a four-year defenseman with the boston bruins in the 1980s and a member of the boston bruins alumni team frank think thanks for being on with us today oh my pleasure mark well, you were clearly making the most of your time in college, you would see, because in addition to playing multiple sports, you achieved a degree in mechanical engineering. Um, talk a little bit about college life and basically balancing all that and getting it all done to a high level.
1: Well, it's interesting. You mentioned that uh, Norwich wasn't exactly uh, a hockey hotbed for an avenue to, to the NHL, and that's certainly why. I didn't go there. I did, I did participate in knowledge to, uh, to get an engineering degree. Uh, I always liked a good challenge and uh, I looked for the hardest major that they had at the time. I was always, I always fancied myself, maybe as being an inventor one day, um, I would like to break down engines and build them back up and bicycles and this and that growing up. So I was mechanically inclined. So that seemed very natural for me. Um, uh, But it's interesting, I I learned fairly quickly that not everybody believed that uh, being an engineering, being a multi-sport athlete, uh, was the way to go in college. And I'll give you an example. Um, During the soccer season, my freshman year, if you played sports at Norwich uh, and you had a a test, an exam, uh, on a game day, you were given an exemption to go play the game. And my uh, computer science teacher, who... Um, didn't necessarily believe in that. Said, if you go play your game, I'm going to fail you on this test. Hmm. Well, I went and played the game anyway. And he said to me, he goes, You know, no one from Norwich has ever become a professional athlete before, so you should focus on your studies. <laughs> okay, freshman year, um, I get this message. I go play the game. Years go by. We actually become friendly the professor and I, and he came up to me my senior year. Actually, after I uh, came back to the school, uh, after I turned pro and he he apologized and he said he will never, ever uh, shy a kid away from participating in sports or any other extracurricular activities that might have taken his focus off of schooling. So it was a good lesson for the professor that, yes, people can do that. Uh, and it was good motivation for me because every time I maybe had some doubts about being able to balance both uh, ed- education and sports, uh, I thought back to that moment and gave me a little extra push.
0: All right, that's a great story and um, future Norwich students could uh, thank Frank and uh, your professor for coming to that uh, that accord and um, seeing seeing life in a new light. When, did, when you were at Norwich, when did it become apparent that you may have the ability to become a professional hockey player.
1: Well, I think you're in a bubble when you're playing. You don't always realize what's going on around you and what people what people think. You're just going out there trying to do the best you can. Uh, looking back now and hearing some of the stories that people tell me that you know there were there were um, uh, it was it was uncommon even for a small school like Norwich, who had had an excellent hockey reputation for a freshman to walk in and and, and play as many minutes as I did. And and we actually had a pretty solid freshman class that year. Uh, You may recall Don Cahoon, a big star at DU and uh, he ended up, uh, he recruited me and many others from the Middlesex league uh, onto Norwich. So we had a very strong and young team, uh, but it was fairly uncommon uh, back then. Um, But, my it's interesting my my school I really wanted to go to at the time was a uh, UMass Lowell who was really killing it in Division uh, three moving up into Division one but they didn't want me um, so we Lowell played U a couple of times our first uh, two years and much like the college professor giving me motivation playing against U Lowell gave me tremendous motivation to play. And, and we all played well. We won, I think, one or both of the games. And, and, and the coach of you all I think it was Jack Riley, I'm not sure the name, I came up to T Cahoon after the, uh, after the game and said, hey, where'd you get this kid? <laughs> Simonetti. He, goes, he goes, well, he wanted to go to your school, but you didn't want him. And the guy just <laughs> rolled his eyes and walked away. So, um <sighs> At that point, I knew that I was getting some some pub. Uh, the Colorado Rockies hockey team, which later became the uh, New Jersey Devils, they were scouting me. Apparently, freshman year, I heard about it later in the season, um, and so there were there were some scouts uh, watching me during games. But as you mentioned off the top, division we were division two at the time. Uh, players didn't really ascend to the NHL. It wasn't. It wasn't the goal of the players. It wasn't the goal of the program. But uh, I think scouts were beginning to look in all avenues, to try to find quality players. But as time went on, um, there was no drafting. I didn't get drafted by anyone. Um, <clears throat> teams looked, but didn't uh, didn't touch, if you will. Uh, so I so I graduated college as an only American. And that's where I thought my career uh, had ended, uh, having a good four-year run at school, and it was off to Men's Leagues. I wanted the kids
0: to play. Right. But, of course, that didn't happen, and I was curious um, who reached out to you on the Bruins, and how did that whole process start with signing with the hometown Boston Bruins?
1: Well, Joe Lyons was the local Boston Bruins scout. He covered the New England Territory, and I'm not sure, I never quite found out if joe ever actually saw me play in college or uh did he just hear about me and and, and see that i achieved all-american status i also saw that i was a local kid growing up in stoneham mass Uh, the bruins had a had a penchant at the time for bringing in a couple of local players to training camp every year just to generate some uh local excitement Uh, and so i i thought that potentially that's that's what i was before I got to camp, I, uh, Joe invited me to his uh, summer league team, to play in the summer league team in Hingham, where they had prospects and draftees and uh, pros that are just trying to tune up themselves during the summer. So I got to play in that league, and I, and I did pretty well. And, and, and I remember the story once uh, me and this, this guy were jostling in front of the net. So I gave him a two-hander across the shins. And now I figure I got to start step up a little bit, he just looked at me, shook his head, and uh, and skated away. Mm-hmm. And 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 I come to find out afterwards that that was Jay Miller. Oh. and <laughs> If he had wanted to, I, I, I my career may have ended right there. I don't know.
0: <laughs> so yeah, we ended up
1: going to the we ended up going to training. He, he was an MIT to the Bruins training camp that that well when we became friends. So uh, that was an interesting experience. So after that that summer late team, uh, I I did well enough to, to gain an invite to the Bruins camp and uh, go to camp. And I, I had no expectations. I had no knowledge really. I'd never been through a training camp. Obviously there was really no one to talk to that uh, they could coach me up on this. So I just went in and you know, skated and, and did what I do best, which was uh was really, really focus on my game and, so the the rookie, they had a rookie game down in Hartford. We all get out in the Hartford play the uh, the Whalers, uh, the rookie team, and I did fairly well there. And then a few days go by, and they post the rosters for the first uh, preseason games against Buffalo. They were back to back in Rochester and Lake Placid. So I walked, I walked right by the list. Didn't even think to look up at it. Not <laughs> thinking for a moment. Right. That I would be on and somebody grabbed me and said, Hey, you're going on the trip. I was uh, shocked, to say the least, but I had a problem, Mark. Uh, so I go to see uh, Coach Cheevers, Jerry Cheevers at the time. I said, Coach, uh, I've got a problem. He goes, Well, what's the problem, Frank? Tell me what it is. I said, Well, my sister's getting married Saturday morning, and that's the day of the first game in Rochester. I'm in the wedding. He goes, well, what time is the wedding? I told him. He goes, "Do you think you can be to the airport by one o'clock?" I said, "Yes, I can." He goes, "Well, we'll hold the plane for you." <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm walking. I'm walking on clouds at this point, right? I go to the wedding. I don't even remember a bit of the wedding. Get to the uh, airport. We fly away. I get a goal that night and assist a goal in Lake Placid the next day. I'm, I'm thinking, "Wow, I love this hockey thing!" Right? <laughs> so uh, we play a total of. Uh, <clears throat> 11 preseason games that year. I'm in nine of the 11, which again was, was somewhat unprecedented for the Bruins. Right. Um, so I'm playing these games. I'm playing well, I'm playing with Bork, I'm playing with Kluzak, this guy, that guy, getting time on the power plate, penalty kill. Uh, it was really an exciting time. The second to last game, we're playing up in the Portland Civic Center against the New Jersey Devils. And, uh, Gord Kluzak was coming across the blue line, and pushed Driver went low, took his knee out. So Gord was out for the season. And that was the first time I thought, wow, maybe I might make this team, because now one of their key defensemen has gone, maybe they're light on D. But <clears throat> we went on. The last game of the season, the last preseason game, was down in the Providence, Providence Civic Center, we're playing the four-time Stanley Cup champion New York Islanders. Billy Smiths and that bossy's there. They're all there. Trust you. They're all there. I signed my contract on the bus ride down. I scored the winning goal in overtime, and I am. I'm, I'm getting chills just thinking about it now. After all <laughs> these years, Mark. I, you know, my parents were in the stands. It was really a wonderful experience. And now preseason is over. And now what do I do? All during the training camp, recruits and, and prospects and draftees are getting sent back to the minors, sent back to juniors, released outright. And I just keep, you know, keeping on, if you will. Uh, so camp ends. Nobody tells me anything. So I go up to the trainer, Bud Carpenter at the time, the equipment manager, I said, Bud, where do I go? He says, well, you made the team. And that's when, when it hit me. I go, wow. That this is surreal. Now, now, now you start thinking about it. <clears throat> well, it didn't last long, Mark, because uh, each, back then, each training camp, the Bruins uh, attended the Hollaback Logan Golf Tournament on the South Shore. So we're all at the golf tournament. This is like maybe two or three days after camp ended. I'm out there in the hole, whatever, and this golf cart starts working its way towards our hole, towards our tee box. And the woman says, are you Frank? I said, yes, I am. She says, well, Mr. Sinden would like to talk to you. I said, okay. So I, so I get a cart, I drive to then a payphone, which for all you kids out there, that's before cell phones. <laughs> uh, I call Harry. He says, you know, Frank, you had a tremendous camp, But we've had a change of heart. We'd like to send you down to Hershey for some seasoning. And, I, and it was like, you know, Naturally, so we stuck the pin in the balloon. I said, oh, "Okay, well, well they're a Hershey." And unfortunately for for all the the, the Bruin players on the on that team, it was a Philadelphia Flyer run team, and the Bruins rented spaces, so we we didn't get primary ice time, if you know what I mean. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so we would play. Some sometimes I'd sit on the bench the whole game. Sometimes I'd play some, you know, in and out. And it was uh, it was it was strange. Uh, I started having second thoughts because I had uh, I had two engineering jobs uh, lined up uh, when I graduated uh, college. I thought, well, maybe you know, maybe the smart move is to to go back to engineering. But I, you know, I gave it some time, and so it, it, we're approaching Christmas now, and everybody's going home for Christmas uh, break. They give us a few days, and I said, "Well, I'll give it some thought, talk to the family while I'm home." And the coach, uh, the GM comes up and says, "Hey, you're going to Boston. Um, you're playing tomorrow night against Montreal." I said, "Whoa!" Merry okay. Christmas! Game on, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> drive up, or uh, I don't know if I drove a full up to Boston from Hershey. I get in the game, and I remember this like it was yesterday. It's six shifts. I caught the floor from behind. Uh, I, I don't tell too many people that he beat me in the first place, so I had to catch him. But <laughs> right. uh, Anyway, I, played a, I thought he played a solid game, and I remember sitting in the locker room afterwards, and uh, the, GM of the, the assistant GM of the time, Tom Johnson, came up to me and said, Hey, Kid with a cigar in his mouth, Hey, Kit, right. <laughs> how do you, you think you did? I said, Mr. Johnson, I think I did pretty well. He goes, Me too. And he walked away. Now day off for Christmas the day after Christmas the team was leaving on a 12-day four-game road trip to the west coast again no one tells me what's going on so I go ask I said well bundle up your sticks you're going on the road trip and I was with the Bruins for the rest of that season so uh played a lot of games had a lot of fun um and that led that led to the start of the career
0: Right, and it was an uh, interesting year, that 84-85, your first year. As you noted, Jerry Cheevers, the star of the year offered Coach Harrison, and I believe he came in and replaced him during the year. A lot of talent on the team. I was curious when you look back at it, a, a couple of players that stick out and a couple of guys you remain close to today. Um, number one, uh, your impressions back then of playing with Ray Bork.
1: Well, I was very fortunate in that I was paired with Ray quite often uh, when I was out there. Um, I'm sure that was for a reason uh, to offset the rookie with right. with the seasoned veteran, not only seasoned veteran, but one of the best players in the NHL. And I, I felt very fortunate because whenever you get in trouble with the puck, you just throw it in Ray's direction, and you were generally off the hook. Uh, he was so good. And in the other... The other thing that uh, playing with Ray allowed me to do was just focus on my defense, because he was the offensive player of that pairing for sure and all pairings. So I could just work on making sure I was there, backing him up if needed, um, you know, covering my man, doing all the, the, the basics. Uh, when I was at Norwich, I, I transitioned more into an offensive player, um, but going to the pros, uh, Focusing on the defense was was uh, was what I had to do, and playing with Ray allowed me to do that. Um, the other the other players that uh, I was fortunate enough to play with back then was Terry O'Reilly, uh, who later became the coach. Uh, I mean, heart and soul of the Bruins. He's heart and soul of the alumni now. The guy would play under any circumstances, body parts hanging off. Uh, <laughs> open wounds, I mean the guy, uh, his, his threshold, of pain was enormous and uh, he was an inspiration to everybody. He couldn't complain about much if anything would carry around because he'd have a about squat, you know?
0: No, I think um, even uh, even as a fan, I would often look at him as such a role model for hard work, you know, 80 game schedule and he just came out every single night and Just uh, went through the wall for you every night, and it was great. So it had to be very inspirational, you know, sitting next to that guy in the locker room, getting out there on the ice with him. He was like no other.
1: Well, he was like no other, but as physical and as hardworking as he he was and is, a very smart hockey player to boot, and he worked on his craft. uh, uh, Again, I felt lucky because he'd, he'd always go out before practice and stay late after practice and work with... People like me, uh, young kids who are who are almost mandated to go out early and stay out late. He stayed out with us, and would <laughs> play four and four games, one and one games, uh, and he'd give you tips about this and that, the body positioning, and uh, I learned a lot from Terry, uh, not only as, uh, as a teammate, but as a, but as a uh,
0: when he was the coach as well. Yeah, I always feel like in in retrospect, number two things about Terry O'Reilly are very underrated. Number one, his ability uh, that he you know he was a two-time NHL All-Star, and his 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 ability as a coach. I I felt he was one of the better Bruins coaches um, of all time. really. you guys had had a lot of success under him, and um, you know things things go on as they do in hockey. But uh, obviously, look back at him on both. And like you said, the word you used is is smart. He was an intelligent guy and a lot of people who don't know that watch YouTube videos and think of the fighting and he was a heck of a fighter. But uh, also a very uh, very thoughtful man and uh, um, obviously great opportunity for a young guy like you to play with a guy like him. Um, there was one other guy who often gets forget, who who gets forgotten uh, in that mix of the, those teams who was a highly productive player. Uh, it's a guy named Charlie Simmer uh, who was in Triple Crown line with the Los Angeles Kings and uh, a big scorer there, came over to the Bruins after a contract dispute in L.A. And he was, uh, he was banged up a little bit here and there, but he was highly productive. What are your memories of uh, Charlie? I
1: love Charlie Simmer. That's, that's what I'm going to tell you uh There's a trivia question, Mark. You're going to get the answer because I think you'll get the answer. Uh, It's a two-part trivia question. Who scored the 10,000th goal in the Boston Garden?
0: I don't know. I'm going to guess Charlie Simmer. You're going to guess Charlie Simmer, and you're correct. Who got the assist? I'm hoping it's Frank Simonetti. You got it. That's
1: a (laughs) a very obscure trivia question uh, that I like telling. Charlie and I lived in the same town in Boxford and we would drive in to, uh, to practice in the games together. So we became quite friendly. Charlie, Charlie wasn't the fastest guy or the best skater, but he was always in the right position. And I think one year, maybe that year or the, or the uh, 85, 86 year, he got 50 goals uh, with the Bruins or close to it. Mm-hmm. Um, he got banged up. He got a bad eye injury. Uh, but that year he was scoring goals. I mean, the pucks were going in off his butt, off his head it didn't matter he was always in the right place and he was a big target and very good hands for a big guy uh i I really love playing with charlie simmer
0: as your career went on with the bruins the bruins acquire uh from the vancouver canucks uh cam neely who was kind of a was an unknown quantity at the time not everybody knew Uh, he he had played a few years in vancouver obviously and wasn't a big scorer. He comes into Boston, and everything kind of changes. Your, your team takes a, a huge leap. He's just an absolute force. What are your memories of playing with Cam Neely?
1: Well, interestingly, the first training camp, uh, Jeff Cortnall introduces me to Cam Neely in the locker room one of the first uh, days of training camp. He says, hey, Frank, this is Cam Neely. Cam would like your number 21. <laughs> I said I said, uh, I don't know how that works, but uh I don't know, probably not. I don't, you know, I don't A didn't you never knew how what Cam was gonna turn into as a player. He was just he was just a guy, right? I mean it was, he was an accomplished fighter but he hadn't reached uh, legendary status yet. But the fact was that it was up to the Bruins who got what number. Uh, and, and Harry said, and wanted to wear number eight. So the, so the trade was never made, uh, of jerseys. When I retired, he went, as I understand it, went back into Harry. and said, look, I I really want to wear number eight. And Harry said, no, I mean, number 21 and Harry said, no. Um, so (laughs) I'm not sure Cam and I got off on the right foot. (laughs) Right with respect to the number exchange, but uh, uh, we worked together for a little bit. Uh, he, he was a tremendous teammate. I mean, he, uh, he you talk about uh, Terry O'Reilly and his grit and his uh, passion for the game. Cam had that in spades. Um, an enormous talent and physically strong. I mean, he... I don't know if it was natural or if it was something he worked on or a collection of both. But the man was incredibly strong, upper body strength. I mean, you can see the way he just tossed people around, pushed people around out there. He was a quintessential power forward, and yeah, with, with a mean streak that uh, you know gave him a lot of room on the ice uh, when he was playing, and he took full advantage of that. Uh, you could have given me twice as much room, and I wouldn't have done a tenth of what he did with it. If you know what I mean? Right. Uh, he had a Tremendous knack for scoring. I just, I just happened to watch uh, what, the, the, the YouTube video out recently of uh, Cam when he scored. Uh, was it forty-six goals in forty-eight games, whatever that was, or fifty goals in forty-six games? And they showed all the goals, so I watched it all. And some of them he made look so easy, and they weren't. And some of them were just acrobatic feats of magic. The, some of the behind-the-backs and this and that and dives. He was as focused as any of the players uh, the Bruins have ever had, uh, and really the, the kind of guy you want on your team. They don't fall off, off trees, as you know. But the Bruins are very lucky uh, to have Ken Haley. I mean, they gave up Barry Peterson, if I if I recall, in that trade, which which people. Were, uh, were somewhat upset about it at the time, but it didn't take long for, for Cam to, to mark uh, place his stamp on the organization. Well, there he is still today as a as a figurehead, well deserved.
0: Right, uh, your career goes on, and it's as it happens so many times with players, uh, injuries become a key factor um, in abbreviating your pro career. When did you uh, reach the decision that uh, it was time to pursue your uh, career outside of hockey um, and and leave the uh, leave the NHL
1: well, you're right there mark on the uh, the accumulation of injuries uh, shoulder operation knee operation back problem uh, number of things but you look at it and you also I also saw myself slipping down the depth chart right and you say well do you want to go and play somewhere else? Uh, or do you want to take the opportunity that was presented to me at the time, which was to move into, uh, move into a business, which I'd been doing in the summers. Um, so I had made the decision after my fourth season. Uh, I suffered another knee injury and I said, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to voluntarily retire, which, you know, I've, I've thought back to that day and, and wondered if, and, and what ifs, and this and that, but, uh, know it it seemed like the right decision at the time Um, so that's that's what I did so it was a combination of injuries plus moving down the depth chart and and not really looking to go play outside of my hometown.
0: Your association with the Bruins and the hockey community continues today on uh, multiple fronts. First of all the Boston Bruins alumni uh, which I've been involved with for uh, four years now and a great group. You guys seem like you're having a heck of a time out there every night. Uh, John Horgan and uh, Bob Cormier and the whole team puts on a, a great performance. Uh, the, the alumni led by Nifty uh, Middleton and Terry O'Reilly, I think is probably the, the most robust alumni in the National Hockey League. Uh, it's got to be a lot of fun getting out there with the guys and, uh, and, and playing, uh, wearing that wearing that number 21 in the smoked B. Well,
1: uh, I think I'm in my thirtieth year of alumni hockey, Mark. So uh, <laughs> to say that to say that I'm enjoying it would be an understatement. Uh, we're very fortunate here that the likes of Eddie Sanford, Woody Dumart, uh, and John Busing founded the alumni group uh, back 50 years ago. Now I believe it is, right? Uh, and back then it was a true barnstorming, just uh, moving, uh, playing around here and there, just keeping their toe in the game, and now. With Dusick. Uh, he took it over for a while, ran it for a long time, actually. on body swing now. Uh, Rick Middleton, it has taken on uh, a bigger and better life. We're all very fortunate to have played for the Bruins. And many, many former players retire here because it's such a wonderful community, a hockey community, a great place to raise your kids. Um and I know, to a man, we're all very—we uh, feel very fortunate that we can give back and go out and play these uh, these charity hockey games. Not only all over New England, but we're uh, we're extending our reach up into Canada now. We've gone down to the Tampa to play the Lightning alumni. We've gone out to Colorado to play uh, the Avalanche alumni. Detroit, so we have a chance. We uh, we spread our wings a little bit, but. For the most part we're trying through helping New England uh, organizations raise raise funds through through charity hockey games, through golf tournaments and in different uh, different appearances and the like. We have a good core a great core group of people that show up to uh games, drive to Maine, drive to Vermont, uh, just to get out and meet the people and and have a good time, uh carrying hockey and in helping uh, helping grow the game as best we can there there have been times in the last 10 or 20 years where uh, the, the big team hasn't been doing so well um and the alumni activity actually helps uh, you know share the love spread the love
0: oh, absolutely uh,
1: and and keep hockey in the forefront uh when maybe things aren't going with the big club know that may seem like an overreach, but I know the Bruins uh team appreciates what the alumni does. They, they take very good care of us uh at the garden and supporting our activities. So it's a very good synergistic relationship in good and bad times.
0: Absolutely. It's still great to see you guys take the ice, get announced and uh it just it's great to see the those Bruin uniforms out there and the guys who helped, helped make that franchise so great. Um, in addition to the alumni and your efforts there, uh, you became involved with the Dana-Farber Institute. And particularly a, uh, a great uh, project for you, for you passion uh, project, if you will, is Bull with a Bruin, which uh, I participated in last year, and I thought it was fantastic. People really loved it. A great turnout of players. A good testament to you. Uh, not only the, the the players who are regularly with the alumni, but because it was in the offseason, you get access to a couple other guys last year who fans don't see often. Uh, Rick Smith, uh, Steve Casper, Bob Carpenter. Um, talk a little bit about Dana-Farber and the Bowl with the Bruin event.
1: Well, it really starts with the Boston Bruins Foundation, which uh, participates, well, they do a number of, charitable events, but one of their core uh, causes is to put a team into the Pan Mass Challenge bike ride, uh, which raises money for life-saving care at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. And for those who don't know, the Pan Mass Challenge bike ride is a two-day, 192-mile bike ride starting in Sturbridge Mass and ending in Provincetown uh, on the Cape. And just to give a little bit of props to the PMC, they've been running the event for 39 years now, and they have raised a total of $598 million over that time period, um, now the, which is the single most successful sporting event fundraiser in the world. Um, so they, we've got that to hang our hat on. Mm-hmm. The Bruins Foundation... Uh, getting back to uh, Mr. Terry O'Reilly, he was riding in the Panmas Challenge along with Gary Doak for three or four years before the Bruins Foundation got involved. And he, he was really trying hard to get some, some of the guys, uh, former players to ride with him. And he convinced Bob Sweeney to, uh, to enter a team under the foundation's name 13 years ago. I joined a year later uh, along with the likes over the course of those 13 years of riding with uh, Sean McEachrin, uh Rick Middleton, Doki, Terry O'Reilly, Tim Sweeney, Bob Sweeney, Don Sweeney, uh, Lyndon Byers. Uh, I know I'm missing a couple of the guys, but uh, over the years, guys have drifted in and out and, and, and ridden with us. Jack Edwards has ridden for a few years, and he was the biggest celebrity in the ride, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> so, over, um, we've been riding now for 13 years and a requirement for the pan mass Challenge is each, each rider has to raise a certain amount of money. Uh, for instance, this year it's $4,800 per rider. Uh, you can raise more, but you will raise a minimum of $4,800. So for a number of years, um, like most people, I was just asking people for money. Would you give me a hundred dollars? Whatever it is. And uh, three years ago, one of my riding partners and PMC friends, one of my best friends, Rich McDonald, said, you know, we should look at doing a bowling tournament. He asked that because in Tewksbury, where he works, they just put up a beautiful, they had just put up a beautiful bowling entertainment facility, Walmas Lanes. He had been there. He said, boy, this place is gorgeous. What a nice place for an event. Okay. I went down to look at it I said, you know, we could do this, but let's make it better let's run it like a golf tournament, a celebrity golf tournament, where each team gets paired with a former Boston Bruin. Hence the name, Bowl of the Bruin. And as we add in, people like uh, this year, Steve Nelson, uh, New England Patriots legend, uh, Dr. Hook from Slapshot, and, mm-hmm. and other friends, we now call it Bowl of the Bruin and Friends. And this will be our third year. It's, uh, it'll be held May 20th. Uh, it's a Sunday And we do have another special guest this year. One, Raymond Bork, will be joining uh, the squad and and showing off his bowling skills. So um, we're very very lucky to have this facility. It has uh, 36 lanes. Uh, We'll have at least 34, 35 teams. Maybe maybe we'll sell the place out this year. Um, And all the money that's raised goes to the foundation, who then turns it over to Dana-Farber in the, the Pan-Mass Challenge. So this is our vehicle to raise money for PMC and Dana-Farber uh, Cancer Institute. And as you said, Mark, you were there last year. It is a great time, and, 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 you, and you missed a guy that showed up last year, Eddie Sanford, 94 years old. Right. Um, and I think you just had a picture with him uh, yeah. last, last week in the he is vibrant. Uh, he came out in bold, and he came up to me during the event. And said, Frank, I got to got to thank you. You bring multiple generations of players together. Uh, this is a testament to the Bruins alumni and and the, and the force that they are in the community. And he he was over the moon happy that that he was invited for one, and that that he get to talk to to so many different players because he's he's such a gentleman and such a a diehard Bruin uh, through and through that uh, he really appreciated the event, and I'm, I'm glad you did as well. We have a great time. So for anybody who's thinking about it, uh, please visit uh, uh, We'd love to have you as a, a bowling team, or if you want to sponsor or donate something for prizes, please please uh, reach out, and we'd be happy to accommodate that.
0: Uh, that's great, and. I would say it's also a great opportunity for the fans to get really up close and, and really talk to you, you know. It, obviously, at the alumni game, you're on the ice and fans are in the stands. It's great you sign autographs. But with the Bowl of the Bruin, uh, you have uh, you'll, you'll be up close in person with all the Bruins legends, and it's, it is a great, uh, relaxing, fun, and obviously beneficial event. So, Frank, we greatly appreciate you being with us here today. We look forward to seeing you on May 20th and. Thanks for spending the time with us today, Frank.
1: My pleasure, Mark, and uh, thanks for everything you do. Thanks. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye.
0: Bye, Bye, Frank. Thanks for listening to the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast. Be sure to visit us at ProHockeyAlumni.org. This episode of the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast is sponsored by Pro Stock Hockey, your online source for authentic Pro Stock Hockey equipment. Sticks, gloves, and all the rest. If the pros don't use it, they don't sell it. Visit ProStockHockey.com.